This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. Ooh, baby. Could be juicy. Imagine if there's an elimination game Sunday night for those Buffalo Bills. It is possible. Maybe not probable, but it is possible. Oh, I think it could be probable. We can go through yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's probable. Actually, I think it is probable. Now yeah, it's probable. It. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go with probable. I like that. Let's yeah. upgrade it. Let's Just upgrade Just like we're going to get snow Saturday and Sunday it's probable. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's probable. So the we're forecast. upgrading it. We are on Sportsmanlike, yeah. presented by Progressive Insurance, ESPN Radio, ESPNU. Tune in for a doubleheader this Sunday. Pats and Jets could be Belichick's final game with New England, followed by the Bears at the Packers. Coverage begins at noon Eastern on select ESPN Radio stations. So the game of the weekend as of now looks to be going in, the Sunday night game between the Bills and the Dolphins. And Buffalo is favored on the road at Miami. Why is that? Well, Buffalo won the first game. Buffalo is less banged up than Miami is with all of their injuries, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. But one guy who was not injured is Tua. Tua is set to start his 17th game of the season amidst all of the quarterbacks this year who have missed games. He is not one of them. They've already clinched a playoff spot. They've already won 11 games, and they potentially could win a 12th and win the AFC East. So all of the conversation, guys, about Tua before the season, the question now becomes, have all of those previous questions been answered? Uh, Well, the first question was whether or not he could stay healthy, and the answer to that is yes, but there are still more questions that are out there in terms of can this guy be a force multiplier for our franchise when everything is not ideal, when he doesn't have everybody around him healthy, can he still produce at a high level? And the game that I go back to is the loss to the Tennessee Titans in primetime early December. Tyreek Hill missed two quarters of that game, and you saw that it made a huge difference in terms of the level of performance that we got from Tua. That opened the door for the Titans to win that game. So I guess my biggest question is, can Tua display the intangibles that you would expect a quarterback under these circumstances to be able to produce? Can he be a driving factor in why your team gets a win on Sunday, wins the division, and has the potential to host and win a home playoff game? That's what I'm waiting to see. I think we have a lot to still learn from Tua over the next couple of weeks. And it's not just us football fans, but the Dolphins organization as well, because they've got to make a quarter of a billion dollar decision this offseason on whether or not Tua is their long-term franchise quarterback. I know that winning this game would go a lot in furthering that conversation with Tua, but I think the decision has probably already been made in Miami. It feels like he's answered enough of those questions to me to be the guy for them long-term. Mike McDaniel has even said Tua is my guy. Obviously, publicly, he's not going to say anything to the opposite, but I truly believe that based on the way the two have worked together this season. That synergy is there. Tua has fit really well into the scheme, and Mike McDaniel knows how to utilize him. He's proven that he can improve in certain areas. He's proven that he can stay healthy shout out to jujitsu he's a franchise quarterback he's the face of the franchise right now and i think that whether they win or lose this weekend two is going to be the guy in miami long term but 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 smalls here's to, to push back on that the top dog in the afc east the last three years has been the buffalo bills and how has two affaired in head-to-head matchups with the buffalo bills he's one in five with five interceptions and five touchdowns so that's why this game is so important to me prove that you can beat the team that has dominated the landscape of the division for the last half decade. If you can do that, then again, that goes a long ways to furthering my confidence in you that we've got our guy. If you lose that game and you're relegated to wild card status and you get bounced in the first round of the playoffs, I, I just don't see that as you know enough 
validation to justify paying this dude $50 million a year plus. And that's the going rate for quarterbacks these days. $50 million a year plus. One healthy season and one year in which you are in the driver's seat of the division going into the final month of the regular season and you end up being a wild card team. Again, I'm, I'm, th- th- there is a huge, huge contrast in terms of the difference that their season looks like if Tua wins this game versus if the Dolphins lose this game. And I guess that's the part that makes it hard to get past for me. So question now on this, because I want to connect some dots on if Tua is the guy. Do we believe that Mike McDaniel at any point now or regardless of results on Sunday slash the postseason is under any pressure at all right now? No. No. Okay. So as long as Mike McDaniel is not under any pressure, my belief is Tua's the guy. Because I think Mike McDaniel has made it clear that he is riding his Dolphins career with Tua as the quarterback. Now, that may not end up perfectly for him, right? Just like we've heard Jonathan Gannon with the Cardinals say, you know, Kyler Murray's the guy. Like, are we sure about that? So I think for me, as long as Mike McDaniel's the head coach, I think Tua's the quarterback, regardless of the price. Regardless of the price? How is the price not a factor? Because who else are they getting? If, they, if that's the guy that Mike McDaniel wants, and I think he's very clear that that's the guy he wants, I think regardless of price, that is the guy. I think that's the guy he has. I mean, he inherited Tua as his quarterback. Now, a part of why he got the job is because he could maximize the return on that investment. Remember, this is a franchise that took him with the fifth overall pick. And you know, I think that general manager is still there. So, I mean, yep, that, it's, it's a matter of whether or not, you know, Mike McDaniel, the head coach, can get the most out of Tua. And who's to say that what we've seen from Tua this year isn't the best that it's going to get? And my point is, if you lose in Week 18 and you lose in the wild card round, then I, I, I could see a world in which they say to themselves, yeah, if this is the cap on what Tua is going to be, we're probably not going to pay him $250 million a year considering that we're paying a lot of other positions top-of-the-market money. Think about what they're paying Tyreek Hill. Think about what they're paying Bad Bradley Chubb. Think about what they're paying uh, Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard. They're paying a lot of guys. It's expensive. Christian Wilkins. Like, it's an expensive team. And so if we're talking about this being the best that Tua has to offer, then why am I going to double and triple down on a guy who has, you know, a first-round ceiling as a wild-card team as the height of what we can expect year in, year out? This is a super important game for sure. But I, I just look at a bigger sample size with Tua and so much of the conversation around him has been, oh, Tyreek Hill makes him look good and Tyreek Hill elevates this offense. But I think that not enough has been talked about the fact that Tua has executed this offense to perfection almost. I mean, it's been the most challenging offense and one of the most highly powered offenses we've seen in a long time. And Tua has been the engineer of that he's been the one that made it all run and elevated a lot of people around him and I just I to Evan's point don't know if you're going to get anybody that fits as well with Mike McDaniel that's out there right now and I don't think that they want to start the reset button and unfortunately the market dictates that you're going to have to pay him a certain amount of money and I think Mm. he's proven that he's worth it I also think guys that publicly outside of Reed and Mahomes there's not a head coach publicly that believes in his quarterback more than Mike McDaniel believes in Tua. I have not heard a head coach in the NFL publicly believe and back his quarterback the way in which Mike McDaniel has backed Tua. Not one. There's not one guy. Because John Harbaugh loves Lamar, 
But we also had last summer where Lamar was not under contract. Lamar asked out, and there was all kinds of back and forth there, right? I don't believe there is a single coach in the NFL, take Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and put them to the side, that publicly believes in their quarterback more than Mike McDaniel believes in Tua. And as long as Mike McDaniel is going to be the head coach there, I think Tua is going to be the quarterback there, regardless of Sunday against the Bills and regardless of postseason success, at least for this year. Now, the flip side of this is obviously Buffalo. CC, we called it probable, right? We, we think that Jacksonville is going to win against Tennessee. We think that Pittsburgh is going to win against your old squad in Baltimore, which is really the, the second-string Baltimore team that's going to be playing. And we assume that there's going to be a winner between Houston and Indy on Saturday night, and it's not going to be a tie. If those mm-hmm. three things happen, I believe Sunday night becomes an, a, an elimination game for the Bills if they are to lose. The what-if scenario is very juicy what if Miami does upset them, even though Miami has a better record and it's at home, but they're depleted on defense especially? What yeah. if Miami then does upset Buffalo on Sunday night? Then I think it's fair to question whether or not Sean McDermott is going to keep his job. And I get what I'm saying because you're talking about a head coach that's been in the playoffs every year save Josh Allen's rookie season. But the program has regressed since 2020. They had a conference championship blowout loss to the Chiefs. Then they lost in a heartbreaker in the divisional round to the Chiefs. They lost at home last year to Cincinnati, which was embarrassing because they had fought to have home field advantage in that potential matchup. And now you could be relegated to not being one of those teams that's on the outside looking into the playoffs. If your program continues to go backwards and we see the quarterback regress on that same type of trajectory, then all of a sudden I, I think it's fair to wonder whether or not Sean McDermott has taken this team as far as he can take them. And here's the thing. I get that people are talking about the playoff success and all of the appearances that, that Sean McDermott has had. But remember, Doug Peterson with the Philadelphia Eagles won a Super Bowl. And that guy was in the playoffs every single year except for Carson Wentz's rookie year in the last year he was there. Tony Dungy was in the playoffs, what, four of the six years he was the head coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they fired him, and they moved on, and they eventually hired John Gruden, and they won a Super Bowl in year one. I guess my whole point in saying all of that is to say this. Sean McDermott may have taken the Bills as far as they can go, and we see that there's downward pressure from ownership to turn this season around and make it a success. That's why they fired offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey. If this team, as great as they've played the last month of football, if they don't find themselves in the playoffs, then I think it's fair to have Sean McDermott's job be called into question. Let me uh, do my best to add even more because I couldn't agree with you more on this, CeCe. I want to just add a couple other things. There have been way more successful coaches, as CeCe has pointed out, than Sean McDermott who have been bounced. Add Mike McCarthy to Green Bay. Mike McCarthy was better in Green Bay than Sean McDermott was in Buffalo. Whether you like McCarthy or not, he got bounced, right? In addition... Here's the other thing that we need to think about. When everybody says, well, they made the right move. They fired Ken Dorsey, and look at what's happened since then, and Joe Brady minimalizing the offense. Well, when Chris Canty, who played 11 years in the NFL, in September said this, and Evan Cohen, who stinks at football, said, hey, don't throw the ball as much with Josh Allen. We said that in September. See, see, I can't give them the retroactive credit for what was obvious. We said it our first week on the air. We had it. We literally had a stat of the forty and under. Remember that stat we had, like yep. the forty and under pass attempts for Allen. When it was less than that, they were winning games. If we knew that in September, I'm not going to give them the credit. Wow, brilliant move! Once you were stinking, you made the the move to do exactly what we all knew you should do. No, I'm with you on that one. And to make matters worth, you're talking about this guy having a streak of what eleven out of the last twelve games throwing interceptions. 11 out of the last 12 games this dude has thrown an interception. 
I, I just I, again, the player has regressed. There's, there's nobody in the NFL that thinks Josh Allen is still a top three quarterback, and it's because of the turnovers. And the organization is actually realizing that, which is why they're limiting his pass attempts. But I guess my whole point is, you're only going to go as far as Josh Allen can take you. And for him not to continue to evolve as a player, for him not to find a way to cut back on the takeaways, is not only an indictment on him, but it's an indictment on the coaching staff, and Sean McDermott has to be held accountable in that regard. They also have a precarious financial situation looming in the offseason, and fitting that puzzle together, if they're going to break it down, that could impact their notion to make a coaching change as well. Coming up, we will revisit some of the preseason storylines, like the one we just talked about, right, with Josh <laughs> Allen. Like, don't try to do too much. Be a point guard, not a shooting guard. That that analogy, from then until now, some of the interesting preseason storylines and how they have evolved as we head into Week 18 in the NFL. We are on Sportsmanlike, presented by Progressive Insurance on ESPN Radio and ESPNU. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. Evan Canty and Michelle are Unsportsmanlike. And the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win the AFC West for eight consecutive years. It's only the first of our goals, and we've got a lot in front of us from here. It's just a matter of getting some things figured out, and this is what happens. They just they keep pounding, and it was great. They're still alive, the Kansas City Chiefs. Just saying. I know a lot of people are writing them off. Just saying. We are unsportsmanlike here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance, ESPNU. Michelle Smolman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. Before we get to from then till now, what happened to you? And that was, by the way, courtesy of 106.5 The Wolf in Kansas City on the uh, Chiefs Radio there. What happened to you before you were trying to get in and you, like, tripped again? This is – she really is – CC. <laughs> Smalls told us early on she's the clumsiest person ever, right? And we're like, okay, everybody says that about themselves. She has absolutely backed it up. It's unbelievable. What happened to you now? Well, I think when I showed up on day one with a black eye, I backed it up. (laughs) No, so I am a short person. I'm five, four and a half, and these chairs are very tall. I have to hoist myself up to get in the chair, basically. But the, the thing that we have to use to step up onto the chairs have holes in between them. And instead of stepping on the actual platform to get into my chair, I stepped in the hole and Rob mm. was here and he saw it and I busted my ankle. Never mm. ends with her. It never ends with her. It's just embarrassing. So, so are you on the injured list, Smalls? Are you, are you, are you doubtful? Are you probable? Questionable? No. How is this going to work out? I'll play through it, CC. Wow. I'm play through it? Warrior. I'm a gamer. I'm Warrior. a gamer. Warrior. So you're going you're gonna to make your next F45 session? Uh, I'm going to Pilates after the show. Oh, hello. What a, okay. what a F45 open, opening a new Pilates studio. I'm going to the, to the soft opening. Okay. 
Add that to the list of workouts that I will not do with you. What? Come on. This is low impact. Wait, what else? What else is on that? So you're not doing the F45. Nothing against F45. It's just a specific workout for CeCe. No, he said he would go to F45, but not the Did I say I would do F45? Yeah, I guess I did. I did say F45. I did say Tabata. I'm not doing spin class. (laughs) And I think I'm out on Pilates. I, I haven't tried Pilates, like it. but You'd just like in general, no, I see the whole band thing as the resistance and in the training. I'm just out on that. I don't know if I'm on board with it. Okay, I'll tell you this. The Pilates mm. studio I used to go to in St. Louis, a lot of the St. Louis blues players would go there. You mm. as an athlete, I think you'd sneaky like it. See, I'm going to back up CC. Sneaky like it. I'm going to back up CC on one thing. You just said the St. Louis blues players. CC always talks about Hockey players, I'm yeah. an ex-player, meaning... I'm not playing anymore. So yeah. you're talking about the current players. He has made it yes. very clear. We when we did the hypothetical ESPN football team, and I said, "Cece, can you give us like a third down pass rush?" No, absolutely not. I'm giving you nothing no. for that team. No, my my workouts are all for the look. That's all I'm doing. It's all show, no go. I'm not working out so I can compete in a sport. I'm not doing that anymore. I just want to stay healthy. And I just want to make sure that I look good in clothes. That's it. Okay. That's all I want. Well, then you're coming to Pilates with me. Oh Lengthen, lean, tone. It works different muscle groups. It's it's not that high impact workout that you're expecting. I'm sure you would be great at it. And I think you would really like it. I can't just take some Ozempic and call it a day? I mean, sure, you can definitely do that. <laughs> Get on the train. Everybody else is doing it. Boy, is that tempting. <laughs> anyway... Uh... <laughs> I'm just saying that sponsorship, is... sponsorship, sponsorship. Let's go, Cece. Just, just you and I talking for a second. Uh, that is tempting, right? Like you see, uh, what you hear about that, and you're just like, oh god, just do it and get it over with. It's it. like the easy button, man. Everybody's oh looking for god. the easy button. That is the easy button, no it's, doubt. It's it's so tempting. I mean, I'm not doing it, and I wouldn't do it, but like it is tempting. Why wouldn't you do it? Why are you out on it? Because if I'm I'm I don't do anything. I don't drink. I don't do any kind of recreate legal recreational. This stuff. is medicinal. I don't do that either. <laughs> yeah, you do realize it's not going to alter your mind, right? Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Well, oh. actually, it does. It makes you feel like you're not hungry, so it does alter your brain, actually. Okay, this is too, we need to talk about something else, because this is too <laughs> okay. tempting, and I'm going to get myself in All trouble right. in doing All this right. stuff. Okay. All right, anyway, so we're going to revisit some of the uh, preseason storylines and how they've kind of played out here from then until now, because we are entering the last week of the regular season in the NFL. Many fan bases who are listening right now are going to watch other teams and not their own teams starting in two weeks. Um but let's revisit some of these. The Chiefs and the Eagles go to the Super Bowl a year ago, and we wonder, how are they going to bounce back this year? I got to be honest. I'm still wondering how they're going to bounce back this year because the Eagles feel like no chance in heck they're going to get to the Super Bowl. I'm not writing off the Chiefs personally. Yeah, I'm not going to write off the Chiefs either. It's Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes. But in order for them to get back to the Super Bowl, they're going to have to do something that we've never seen them do, which is play a road playoff game. It's never happened. So I, I, I got to believe in them doing something that they've never done. And then I've got to believe in the receiving core doing something that they haven't shown me they can do all season long, which is actually line up on sides and catch the ball. Those things seem fundamental to the position, yet it seems like that's the hardest thing for this group to do. That's why they lead the league in drops. So not going to say it's impossible, but there are significant hurdles for Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid to overcome this year as opposed to years in the past in order to get back to the big game. I'm writing them off. It's not their season. 
I know it might be foolish of me because it is Andy Reid. It is Pat Mahomes. Everyone may be laughing at me in a few weeks, but I have just felt this way all season, guys, as you know. And the cracks have only continued to widen with this team. The issues persist, and you're seeing that frustration and that tension bubble up on the sidelines. You're you're seeing them show their hand that they also know that this is not the team of years past. I just don't think it's going to happen for them, even though Pat Mahomes is that guy and he can always seemingly find a way in the playoffs. I just think that this is the year that he's not going to get it done. Well, you are the one person that no one could laugh at when you're talking about the Chiefs takes because you literally get every Chiefs pick right all season long. So if you're saying they're done, then that scares me even more because I believe in Patrick Mahomes and I believe in Andy Reid in those moments because I think about Brady and Belichick in those moments I would never write them off because that's what they've become. But you somehow know what they don't know, which is remarkable with this stuff. All right, let's go to another. It's kind of like 2018 New England, right? It but feels the, the like Tennessee 2018 game, New England. Yeah, I mean, they have to do it with defense. But oh, the no, no, quarterback- sorry. sorry. The, the Super Bowl year, you're saying. Yeah, 2018 New England. I know. I was getting confused. I was thinking of Brady's last. Yeah, that was a 13-3 Super Bowl against the Rams where Gronk was unbelievable in that postseason blocking. <laughs> like, literally was, was really. Yeah, you got, you got a Hall of Fame tight end. You got a Hall of Fame quarterback. You got a Hall of Fame head coach. And you got a really good defense. And yet, you've got unproven commodities at most of the receiver spots it kind of gives me that feel a little bit I guess the only difference is they had Edelman and Pat Mahomes doesn't yeah but I mean that's kind of how the feel I've got with this Kansas City Chiefs team and I would also say maybe the best football game in the last 10 years the Patriots Chiefs AFC championship game where New England won in overtime uh, that was one of oh the yeah that was a great game great game great D Ford D Ford yep oh yeah yep all right the next preseason storyline revisited now but well, this is an interesting one Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> well. So in just telling the whole evolution of this, he has a perfect offseason, right? We all love, oh, wow, embracing the New York scene. He's going to Nixon Rangers games. He's going to Broadway shows. He's at Taylor Swift, the whole deal. Hanging with his teammates. Hanging with his teammates, which he didn't do as much in Green Bay with the younger guys. Four plays in, unfortunately gets hurt. We realize that Nathaniel Hackett is the single worst offensive coach in the NFL by far, times two in Denver and the Jets. We realize... He really probably doesn't want a veteran backup to come in because he loves Zach Wilson. He wants to empower him. Zach Wilson ends up stinking. Salah has a spotty year. The entire organization is a disaster. Every pick that he had in Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, let's add Dalvin Cook, who we really wanted, who's now a Raven, to, to the list. And his former team in Green Bay is better than they were a year ago. Need I say more? No, I'm just wondering if we could find a way to have the Aaron Rodgers 2023 year in review as told by Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Candy or Canty next on Sportsman Like. Have you ridden an electric e bike yet? You need to check out Electric e bikes today, the number one selling e bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S dot com.
For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. Kenny, Kenny, oh, or Kenny. This is not hard-hitting analysis. It's not that. Kenny or Canty? That is the question. It is time for Kenny or Canty, brought to you by Granger with supplies and solutions for every industry. Granger has the right product for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by today. Smalls and I, Evan Cohen, have questions for Cece, Chris Canty. Can he or can't he? Over-unders, ESPN bet is where you go for all of this stuff. Looking into week 18 of the NFL. Smalls, what do we have? First one, can he or can't he? George Pickens, over 49 and a half receiving yards, Chris. What do you think? I'm going to go over, and it's is way over. You're playing against a division rival in a playoff elimination game. And, oh, by the way, Marlon Humphrey is going to be a healthy scratch. The Ravens aren't playing him because they have nothing to play for. And since that fiasco against the Indianapolis Colts, George Pickens has been on an absolute heater. Four catches, 195 yards, and two touchdowns against the Cincinnati Bengals. And then he follows that up with seven catches for 131 yards last week against the Seattle Seahawks. Not to mention – when he played the Ravens earlier this season, six catches for a buck thirty. So yeah, George Pickens, surefire bet to go over forty nine and a half receiving yards. CC, before I get to the next one, quick follow up on that. Give us insight. Like sometimes moments like that that are embarrassing, disastrous, like Pickens had not giving the max effort, could that actually be a good thing for a player? Absolutely, because you play guilty from there on out. Like it, it, it's embarrassing when Jalen Warren said, "Yeah, I would have blocked for you. You didn't block for me." then you're going to be held to a different level of accountability because you feel like all the other eyes in the locker room are on you. And so when Mike Tomlin said after Pickens had that big game against the Bengals that it was warranted, then that just lets you know that everybody in that franchise is looking at George Pickens with a close eye, and that's why I think we've seen him respond the way that he has the last two weeks. All right, let's go C.J. Stroud over... One and a half passing touchdowns. I'm going to go over, man. He, he torched the Colts earlier in the season. Over 300 yards passing, two touchdowns, no picks. I, I just think C.J. Stroud is going to have a big day. In these games, I'm always going to lean toward the team that has the, the advantage when it comes to head coach-quarterback combination. And I don't know how you can look at the two sides and not say that the Texans have that advantage over the Colts. For as good as Gardner Minshew played, he's not C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud is special. I think D'Amico Ryans has that defense playing with a lot of confidence. And so I think it's going to be a lot of field position, a lot of extra possessions for the Texans, and C.J. Stroud takes advantage of it. So multiple passing touchdowns for C.J. Stroud in hopes that this team can potentially win the division and get in the playoffs. All right, CeCe, Bucks at Panthers. Mike Evans, can he or can't he over under four and a half catches? I mean, I'm going to go over because why would you ever bet against Mike Evans? I mean, what is it, eight straight seasons over 1,000 yards receiving? I mean, this guy is an absolute monster. So, yeah, I'm going to go over that number for Mike Evans. It's a playoff elimination game, so he's got to have that. I get it. He only had three catches last week, but Mike Evans is the go-to guy, especially against the Carolina Panthers, a division rival who he plays really well against. Last game against Carolina, seven catches, 162 yards, and a touchdown. Mike Evans absolutely goes berserk in Week 18 and helps his team win the division. 
We don't think about him when we think about active Hall of Famers. He's an active Hall of Famer, right? Mike, and he'll have a story to tell one day from Johnny Manziel, Tom Brady, Baker Mayfield, some of the quarterbacks he's played with in college and pro. Uh, next one. I'm sorry about that, Mike Evans. I said eight straight seasons over 1,000 yards. I meant to say 10. Like I said, active, I meant to act, say, active I meant Hall to of say Famer, 10. right? I meant to say 10. But here's That's the thing. Unreal. CeCe, if we had the conversation, <laughs> let's talk about active Hall of Famers. He's not coming up. Very, very quickly. And he's clearly an, a player that's active that'll be in the Hall of Fame one day. He has had a phenomenal and career. And think about who he's had throwing the ball to him. I mean, outside a few years with Tom Brady, he's had Baker Mayfield and Jameis Winston. And this dude just continues to put up monster numbers. He is unbelievable. There Again, there's a book I'd want to read. Mike Evans' stories from Johnny Manziel in college to Jameis Winston, Tom Brady, and Baker Mayfield. He's, he's, there's a guy who probably has stories to tell. All right, next one. Over, under, Geno Smith, who should be the backup next year in Seattle to Russell Wilson, just saying, uh, 261 and a half passing yards. I'm going to go under on this one, and I get it. Geno has gone over that total two of the last three games that he's played, but this is a feisty Arizona Cardinals team that can really run the football. That's the thing that I'm a little bit concerned with with the Seattle Seahawks. Their ability to stop the run knowing that you've got James Conner, who I think leads the league in 20-plus yard runs, and then you've got a guy as mobile as Kyler Murray. Seeing what the Cardinals did on the road last week against the Philadelphia Eagles really caught my attention. And so that's going to be the challenge for the Seattle Seahawks, being able to get off the field as a defense. I don't think they're going to be able to do that at the rate that they need to in this game in order for Geno to have a huge passing day. So I'm going to go under 261.5 passing yards for Geno. Bears at Packers, CC Justin Fields, over under 197 and a half passing yards. I'm going to go over, and there's really not a whole lot of stats to back it up. This is just a gut feeling about this situation because Justin Fields' mortality as the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears is now called into question with the Bears having the number one overall pick. I think he makes this decision on Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus and this Bears team as a whole a lot tougher this offseason by going out and having a fantastic game on the road against the Green Bay Packers. I think he's going to have a big-time performance, and he's going to go over 197.5 passing yards. Jordan Love against the aforementioned Bears, over under 246 passing yards. I'm going to go under 246 passing yards, even though I think he's going to throw for multiple touchdowns. I think it's a much more balanced attack because it's going to have to be going up against that Bears pass defense. And so I think they lean on the running game. They lean on that offensive line. They shorten the game, and they hope that Jordan Love can take advantage of matchups in certain situations and capitalize in the scoring areas of the field. I don't think it's going to be a huge passing day in terms of yardage, but I do think that Jordan Love is good for throwing for multiple scores. So I'm going to say under the 246 passing yards for Jordan Love. Dak Prescott versus the Washington Commanders at the Commanders. Over, under 280 and a half passing yards. I'm going to say under, and it's not because I think Dak won't play well and the Cowboys won't win. I think it's under because it's a light day's work. I, I, I think the Dallas Cowboys make sure they make an emphatic statement. They slam the door shut on the Philadelphia Eagles in terms of winning the division. And that means that this game is probably going to be over at the end of the third quarter. So I'm going to go under 280 and a half passing yards. I'd be shocked if it's over. If it's over that total, that means things ain't going right for the Dallas Cowboys in terms of game script and that the commanders have been able to hang in there a lot longer than they should. So I'm going to go under 
because I'm only saying good things about the Dallas Cowboys from here on out. <laughs> Can't or can't he? Brought to you by Granger. A couple more here on Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. Josh Allen over under one and a half touchdowns, and I need you to do an add-on after you're done with this. Will he have more touchdowns or interceptions on Sunday night against the Dolphins? Ooh, I'm going to go with more touchdowns, but I ain't saying that with my chest. That's a depleted, depleted Miami Dolphins defense. They lost Brad Chubb to an ACL injury. They lost Jalen Phillips earlier in the season, and Xavier Howard is banged up. So I don't feel great about that defense. Uh, I think that there are going to be opportunities in the passing game for the Bills to take advantage of. It's just a matter of whether or not offensive coordinator Joe Brady trusts Josh Allen enough to throw the ball and, and have a highly productive game. You haven't seen that lately. Last three games, 66 passing attempts total for Josh Allen. That's 22 a game. Uh, I, I just I want to see more in the way of trust in their quarterback in order to say that he's going to have a huge performance. But I will say this. Josh Allen will throw for more touchdowns than interceptions, and I'm going to go with over the one-and-a-half passing touchdowns for Allen. But I ain't saying it with my chest. Let's look at the other quarterback in that game. Candy or Canty, Tua, over under 263-and-a-half passing yards. I'm going to go over just because I think that's their only path to victory. I mean, Tua leads the league in passing yards. He leads the league in completion percentage. He's going to have to have a big day. Tyreek Hill is going to have to step up amidst some very tough circumstances with his house burning uh, burning down this week. So I, I just uh, this is a situation right now where the Dolphins are going to have to circle the wagons. And again, this is a statement game for Tua, more so than anyone else associated with that franchise. He has to be the reason why this team can win the division and host a home playoff game. And so I'm going to go over because Mike McDaniel is going to dial it up for Tua to have a signature performance. Whether or not he can execute is yet to be seen, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he goes over 263.5 passing yards. Can he or can't he? Brought to you by Granger with supplies and solutions for every industry. Granger has the right product for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by today. Coming up, there are still awards to potentially be had in the NFL. We think that MVP is wrapped up. Some of us think Coach of the Year is wrapped up. One of us does not. Also, an interesting debate around Comeback Player of the Year. We'll dive into that next. It's Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. Evan Canty and Michelle are Unsportsmanlike. The Browns are going to the playoffs. The postseason is back in Cleveland. This is a special city. They love their brownies. This city, you can just tell, like they love football, and it's it's special going out there and playing for them. Arguably the best story in the league this year, the Cleveland Browns. What they've been able to accomplish heading into this weekend with their fifth different starting quarterback of the season, and they've already won 11 games and clinched a playoff spot. We are on Sportsmanlike here on ESPN Radio. 
ESPNU presented by Progressive Insurance Loan. Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. So obviously awards are up for grabs this weekend around the NFL. I think we're all in agreement that Lamar is wrapped. Lamar Jackson has wrapped up the MVP, right? We, we are in agreement on that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that one off the table. There's a couple of other ones that I think are really interesting that uh, some of them revolve around the Cleveland Browns, the aforementioned Browns. Coach of the year seemingly has been a given that Kevin Stefanski, the coach of the Browns, has wrapped it up. He gets his starting quarterback hurt in Deshaun Watson. They get a guy off the street in Joe Flacco, who's been unbelievable for them. We all have kind of assumed that Stefanski's coach of the year. That's where I would go. Smalls, you would go there as well, I believe, correct? Absolutely. He's had four different quarterbacks this season and somehow weathered the storm and has this team poised for the postseason. I think he's done a remarkable job. Now, CeCe, you want to wait and see for one game this weekend, correct? Yeah, I want to see what happens in the Texans-Colts game because uh, Shane Steichen and D'Amico Ryans are right there in terms of tie being tied for the second shortest odds behind Kevin Stefanski to win Coach of the Year. And just looking at D'Amico Ryans in particular, if you're talking about the head coach of the Houston Texans in his first year with a rookie quarterback being able to guide his team to a division title in double-digit wins, knowing that the franchise has had 11 total wins over the last three years, then I think that speaks volumes about the job that he's been able to do, not in just in terms of winning games, but in changing the culture around that franchise. Remember, this was marred in futility. You had a chaplain and Jack Easterby running the team. You had Deshaun Watson with two dozen sexual misconduct cases against him and him forcing his way out, wanting to be traded. And so if you're able to flush all of that, and, and have your head coach in his first year win you an AFC South title with a rookie quarterback, I think that's more impressive than the job that Kevin Stefanski would have done with the Cleveland Browns, despite winning games with four different starting quarterbacks. So, in my opinion, nothing you said is wrong, but I, I my gut is you're going to end up being wrong because I think Stefanski's going to be the guy, right? Like, I think Stefanski will get voted in, but it is interesting because D'Amico Ryan's any other year, coach of the year. Right, yeah. Shane Steichen, any other year, theoretically, coach of the year. The other two that are on the favorites list per ESPN bet um, are victims of their own success. Because of the fact that Dan Campbell beat and the Lions beat the Packers in that last game of the season last year, Sunday Night Football, we all kind of pegged them to be awesome this year. right? Mm-hmm. So him living up to the expectations in a weird way has hurt his coach of the year candidacy. That's not fair, but I feel like that's what's happened. And John Harbaugh, because we've seen him be there, you know, do this before, right. we're almost holding it against him. This would be Stefanski. Here's, here's yeah. what I'll say about Dan Campbell, though. What happened at the end of the Cowboys game didn't help him. Right. Like, I, I right, because everybody's like, talking about the referee thing. Just kick the damn extra point, and we're yeah, not in that kick, spot. Yeah, kick the extra yeah. point. Like, after you go for it and you, you got too cute and you had three different linemen report, including Taylor Decker, but the refs didn't understand. Okay, we get that part of it kick the extra point and play for overtime. You didn't do that. You went for it two more times, and you still didn't get it. So I think that kind of mars it a little bit. If the Detroit Lions were the number one seed or in the running for the number one seed in the NFC, I think it's a different conversation today around him being a viable Coach of the Year candidate. Absolutely. One more thing, Cece, about D'Amico Ryans in that conversation. He's done a remarkable job, and I think unfairly people will give more credit to C.J. Stroud. And because C.J. Stroud has been so transformational, it will somehow lessen the argument for D'Amico Ryans, even though it shouldn't. Well, here's what I'll say. I mean, even with good quarterback play, that franchise hasn't been able to get out of their own way. All you got to do is look at what happened with Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. Like, he, 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 I mean, he led the league in passing, and the team had a total of four wins. 
Like, it, it, just because you're a good quarterback doesn't mean that's going to equate to wins, not with the Houston Texans. But, I mean, it's something to be said for a head coach being able to harness the ability of the quarterback and the talent on the roster in order to put them in this position. And, you know, as shortly thereafter, the franchise has gone through an overhaul and it's been as bad as it's been the last three years. Speaking of Stroud, there's another award kind of up for grabs, right? Offensive Rookie of the Year because he's likely going to win it. Mm-hmm. And I have no issue personally with him winning it. He's a quarterback and he has a chance to make the playoffs. Like, that's amazing with that franchise, as CC has pointed out. But Pukunuku has been unbelievable, obviously, yep. for the, the Rams. And he's not going to win it. But again, one of those every any other year, he clearly is a winner of that. The other one that I'm fascinated by is this Comeback Player of the Year award because it's almost like we need to create a separate category because DeMar Hamlin has his one of the most miraculous situations you'll ever see in your life, and he played football this year, right? But that's not an on-field thing in terms of like the way we would look at Joe Flacco, who's been amazing for the Browns. And by the way, in the any other year, uh, do we not remember that Baker Mayfield was on the Browns, Panthers, and Rams basically over the last year plus? Yes. And now is 28 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and potentially going to win a division? Yep. That is a remarkable race for comeback player of the year, but it feels like DeMar Hamlin should deserve it forever, but also is playing under a different category than maybe Flacco and Baker would be playing under. Does that make sense? Can, yes. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And can I add a write-in candidate? Of and course. I know this seems crazy. But did we forget that Lamar Jackson missed the last five games of the regular season in the playoff game? Like, oh, okay, here's why. Here's why I'm. Uh, I don't believe what I'm about to say, but I know people said it last year. A lot of people were saying, "Well, he could probably go if he had a contract." People were questioning him. You remember that at the end of last year? That like, oh, is the injury for real? Is it because of money? I thought that was a bunch of crap. To be honest with you, I thought he was actually injured. I don't think he's just not going to play. Uh, he, Give him the MVP. He'll, he'll have that. No, <laughs> but I mean, he'll have the MVP, but if he wins the MVP and he missed the final five games of the year and a playoff game, so that's six total games, how could he not be comeback player of the year too? Because of the guy that used to start over him in Flacco and, and now Baker Mayfield. All, I don't know. I'm just I think saying, this if is you're an the amazing, MVP of the league an, and you were injured at the end of last year, I mean, how are you not the comeback player of the year too? Okay, so then then let's put in a vote right now. <laughs> the fake vote, which we don't have. Uh, who are you voting for for comeback player of the year? Oh, gosh, that is so difficult because you're right. DeMar Hamlin, it's a miracle what happened. We all witnessed it live. It was horrific. And the fact that he is A, okay, and B, was able to come back in any capacity and play football is so singular in what happened that it feels outrageous to consider anyone other than him, which is why I'm with you. They need to, they need to find what some other way to – What if they just name the to- award after him this year and then he doesn't actually win it, but it's the DeMar Hamlin Comeback Player of the Year award? Like for- That would be strange if you name it after him and he's never won it before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But there needs to be some sort of honor, way, way to honor what he did, the, the perseverance and just his story in general. But I can't think of a Comeback Player of the Year that's more deserving than Joe Flacco. I mean – this guy was literally in street clothes on the couch and came into the Browns and was able to step in right away, be effective, be the leader. He, not that the team needed galvanizing, but they've rallied around him in a remarkable way. They love him. He seamlessly fit into the culture and has the Cleveland Browns poised as a Super Bowl contender. And I just think about the state of the Browns, and this also is obviously a nod to Stefanski, but when the guy that you mortgage your future for doesn't work out on the field and then gets injured in any other situation, 
the team would completely unravel. Then the guy after him doesn't work out, and the guy after that guy doesn't work out, and Joe Flacco steps in to be the savior. That is a story that you can't really write. So I think it's got to be Joe Flacco. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, Smalls. I I like Joe Flacco to win the award. What I'll say about DeMar Hamlin is that it's a phenomenal story. It's inspirational. But DeMar Hamlin, in in the way of productivity on the field, it's it's not there. Not this year. I mean, he's played in five games. He's got two tackles. So, I mean, I I think when you start factoring in comeback player of the year, I want to see some production on the field. And to me, that's Joe Flacco and what he's done and what he means to that Cleveland Browns football team. So I don't think there's a wrong answer here, but let me just try to make a case for Baker Mayfield. And I probably would vote for Flacco. Um, if like I, Hamlin is forever comeback player of the year. But Baker Mayfield this year has more touchdowns thrown than he does each of the last two seasons combined. With one game left in the season wow. to win the division, he has more touchdowns in this season 28 than he has ever thrown in a season. And he did at one point go to the playoffs. Obviously, as Cleveland Browns quarterback, number one overall. Baker Mayfield was considered a laughing stock over the last year with Carolina and the Rams and kind of like that one game he had with the Rams where he had like the uh, Josh Dobbs level of preparation, get there on a Saturday, play on a Sunday kind of thing. No one, no one thought he was going to be good this year, including me. I did not think that. And this guy is one win away from winning a division and maybe having a three to one touchdown interception ratio. Has he earned a new contract in Tampa? Yeah, but the Geno kind of contract, like the two-year contract where you can still replace him if need be. So I know I'm going against everything I just said, CC. Right, <laughs> right. And, and, and by the way, if I'm Tampa, I, okay, so I'm going to be fair on all of this. If I'm Tampa, I, if I have a chance of drafting a quarterback this year, I'm going to because my thing is draft a quarterback when you want one, not when you need one. It's fine to have him play next year. I thought Seattle should have done that a year ago, not necessarily over at Weatherspoon, but like just in general. So I, Baker's got a case too. He really does. If we're going to wait for the results of, of Indy and Houston to vote in D'Amico Ryans, which is completely fair, isn't it fair to say that, like, let me see Baker Mayfield win a division and have a winning record and have a 3-1 to one touchdown interception ratio? He's got a case. So does Flacco, and obviously DeMar Hamlin has a forever case. We're Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. You can listen to Unsportsmanlike live weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can also watch on ESPN2 and on ESPNU. Unsportsmanlike with Evan Canty and Michelle.